For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, it's great to be back with you here on a Sunday morning at All Souls. It was nice to have some time away and some time with my family and some time working on some house projects, as one does sometimes in vacation, but it's good to be back. I kind of missed you all. Well, that's not too sentimental to say. <laughs> um, our, our lectionary this summer has been walking us through uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans as well as the Gospel of Matthew. Some of our recent sermons have focused on one or the other or, or both. Um, I'd like to think with you this morning about some of these rich and deep ideas that Paul lays out in this section of Romans 8. Uh, to be honest, this section of Romans is rather complicated and it, it might seem a bit abstract. But I do think that there are some profound ways of thinking that Paul is inviting us to entertain. And if we do so, I think there are some important impl implications for how we think of this Christian project that we're all working on together. So Romans 8 is really packed, and for a theologian like myself, there's a, the potential to jump off on any number of verses to talk about lots of doctrines. Um, our, our lectionary today gives us verses 26 to 34, if you want to look at that passage. So that's Romans 8, 26 to 34. And what I'd like to focus on here today is this connection between verse 26 and, and 29. So verse 26 tells us that the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weaknesses. The, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then verse 29 says this, and warning a lot of theological jargon, as you just heard. Um, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers or among a large family, as the NRSV has it. But the idea here, the latter idea, is that God, God the Father, has decreed that, that we who have been chosen by God have been chosen to be conformed to the image of his Son, of Christ. So the connection I want to make is between the Spirit helping us in our weakness and our being conformed to the image of the Son of God. And the case that I want to make is that these two ideas are actually intimately connected and, and in fact, are describing two sides of the same phenomenon. We might indeed uh, re rephrase this to say that the Spirit helps us in our weakness by conforming us to the image of the Son. The Spirit helps us in our weakness by conforming us to the image of the Son. And even kind of to round out a Trinitarian formula, which good theologians want to do, we can say that the Spirit helps us in our weakness by conforming us to the image of the Son according to the design and direction of God the Father. Let's break this down a little bit more here. So the first part of this framework relates to our, our current state as finite and fallen human beings. This is what I think Paul's getting at when he talks about our weakness. I think that the, the weakness envisioned here is actually two-pronged. That is, we have uh, first a natural weakness, simply as limited and, and finite creatures. This is a weakness. It's no fault of our own. It's just part of being a human creature. But secondly, we have also an unnatural weakness, a diminishment of our ability to live as we ought, which has been brought about by the effects of sin, both sin that we commit and also, I think, that sin that's committed against us or, or even kind of pollutes our, our present contexts. I imagine that we're all fairly well acquainted with these two kinds of weaknesses because we live in it every day. 
we know all too well the limitations of our own minds and bodies. We don't know as much as we could. We don't understand as much as we could. We might grow in our intellect, but then that begins to diminish over time. And similarly, our bodies are, are weak. No matter how healthy we try to be, eating right or exercising or resting, our bodies are still fragile and weak, constantly susceptible to injury and to illness. And I think we need help getting out of these weaknesses. But secondly, sin is a weakness that we're unable to overcome on our own. Um, Our ability to follow the ethical guidelines of the moral law has been severely curtailed by, by the original sin that we've inherited. Not only are we weakened by our own sin, I think we're also weakened by being the victims of sin. Sin perpetrated against us weakens us, weakens our ability to lead flourishing lives, and, to, and we need help getting out of this as well. Thankfully, the good news, that is the gospel, is that we're not left in our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit has come to channel God's grace into our hearts to help us to overcome the sin and corruption of our fallen state and also to overcome the, the finitude and, and, and limitedness of our original state. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness at the direction of the Father by conforming us to the image of the Son, which leads us back to verse 29, 29 and 30, which are chock full of their theological jargon. If you want a fun Latin-y phrase for how commentators refer to this section of Romans 8, you can impress people at parties by referring to this as the ordo salutis, or the order of salvation. Maybe you don't go to the parties I go to. So. This typically refers to the steps of the process by which salvation comes to the Christian, and it's been a source of no small amount of disagreement in the history of Protestant theology. But what I want to focus in on here, and what sometimes I think is lost by commentators, uh, is what I think is key in verse 29, where Paul talks about Christians being conformed to the image of the Son. So let's unpack that a little bit here. Uh, Previously, in in Romans 5, Paul had made this comparison between the first Adam, uh, the one from the Garden of Eden, and Christ as the second Adam. That is, where, where Adam and Eve, our first parents, were the originators of the human race. Christ as the new Adam is the originator of a new way of being human, a new creation, to use another one of Paul's phrases. Christ's way is a new way, but it's a fulfillment of the first way. The first Adam was intended to live a life dedicated to the service of God, receiving the world from God, and then then offering the world back to God in gratitude. But Adam and Eve failed in this project, and humans ever since have not fulfilled their proper or their natural vocation, their natural calling. Instead, our natures, our tendencies have been curved in on themselves, uh, serving ourselves instead of God and one another. But Christ, who is, fullest, he was human in the fullest sense, he fulfills the vocation given to Adam. Christ, Christ is the complete human. So when Paul says that God has directed or decreed that we Christians be conformed to the image of his son, I think he's saying nothing other than directing that we humans ought to reach our original goal, uh, to fulfill our original vocation. But even to do so in ways that that go beyond our natural weakness and, of course, beyond our present even worse state that's weakened by sin. Being conformed to the image of Christ, following Christ's example, um, 
uh, uh, leads us to a fullness of human existence that we wouldn't have been possible without him. It's a fulfillment of the way humans were supposed to be. The Holy Spirit, our advocate, our guide, empowers us to follow the example of Christ and thus to overcome the weaknesses that afflict us. And again, theologian, don't miss the Trinitarian shape here to this vital piece of the Christian message. God the Father has determined that we humans ought to be transformed and conformed to be like God the Son by and in and, and through the power of God the Holy Spirit. The primary agents here, the primary actors in this, are all divine. It's the Father that determines, sets the course, uh, establishes the goal. The Son enacts, lives out this perfect human life, living as a human being ought to. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us, enabling us to follow this pattern of life that the Son has displayed and that the Father has decreed. God is the primary agent in this process, but I do think that there is a role for us to play in the project, something we can sort of do about it. But it's mostly about getting ourselves out of the way, actually. If we can just sort of stop actively resisting God, if we can just quiet ourselves for like a second, quiet our own desires and wants, even our own needs and weaknesses, I think this gives the Holy Spirit that opening into our lives to sort of turn on the taps of the grace of God, turn on this supernatural ability to do as we ought, to, to live and act as Christ would. And this is less about us doing things to conform ourselves and more about putting ourselves into positions where we can helpfully receive what the Spirit is trying to do in us. But even that, I think, can take some hard work. Uh, I was talking with someone the other day who was relaying how one of their kids, uh, their adult child, had, had an epiphany that although he'd never stopped believing in Christianity, he said he realized he found himself not actually practicing Christianity. I thought that was an apt way of putting something. Being a Christian, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, is a way of life, a, a way of living, and as such, it takes practice. And if I might, I think, I think practice involves at least three components. Maybe there's more, but three components to practice that I think might play out in this situation. Intentionality, consistency, and repetition. Now, by intentionality, what I mean there is that you have a goal in sight. You, you, need to, you must intend to reach some kind of a goal. For the Christian, this is already laid out here. The, the, the goal is to be conformed to Christ, to live as he lived, and to fit our lives into the pattern of his life. We have to intend, though, to do that. We have to be intentional about setting ourselves up to receive the grace to attain this goal. So practice involves intentionality, but I think it also involves consistency and repetition. Now, in terms of consistency, I think, well, Practicing this means regularly, maybe even largely daily, engaging in the practice. Uh, speaking of weakness of the physical body, in the past nine months or so, my family's become pretty acquainted with physical therapy, with both my oldest son and my wife having to work on some physical ailments. And if any of you have been through physical therapy, uh, you know that, um, that only part of the treatment occurs when you actually go to the physical therapist's office and you, you do what they tell you to. For most people, the majority of physical therapy is going home and doing all the stretches and exercises and, and moves that one has to do to move back towards health. I think our living room kind of looks like a PT office with like stretching bands and like uh, foam rollers and exercise balls and everything all over the place. 
the point about physical therapy is that one has to put in a ton of practice on a daily basis to augment what happens on a weekly or bi-weekly basis with the physical therapist. And I think something similar can be said about the consistency in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us to overcome our weaknesses through lots of means. And you might think that coming here to church or attending a Bible study or going to a house group is akin to going to a physical therapy session. But there are daily exercises, daily spiritual stretches and, stre and spiritual moves to take on that assist us in the practice of Christianity, in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. And this consistent intentionality can seem rather repetitive. I know it feels repetitive to constantly stretch a hamstring or work out your quad, but the consistency and the repetition ingrains these habits that then manifest a way of life. And on repetition, when I was, when I was younger, I was a tennis player uh, when I was a kid. I got to the point of having a private coach and doing trainings a number of times a week. My coach was from Armenia, and he was like trained in like an Eastern European, Soviet-style Olympic um, process. So there was a lot of repetition in the trainings we would do. Almost every time I'd show up, we'd warm up, and then it'd be four hands down the line, four hands down the line, four hands down the line. Pick up a bucket of balls, four hands down the line, four bucket of balls, cross court, cross court, cross court, just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. We would practice tennis. But that repetition, I think, opened up for me to the ability to then habitually hit a forehand down the line in a match like I wouldn't have been otherwise able to do. We practice our faith in order that we might be conformed by the Spirit to the image of God the Son. We intend to consistently and repeatedly practice what Jesus taught, and thus we'll seek to enact this image, this lifestyle, this life pattern in any situation we find, we in, we find ourselves in. I mean, all of our lives should be lived in a posture of worshiping God, but we practice that by repeatedly coming to church and putting ourselves in a context where others are worshiping and we can join along with them. All of our lives should be lived as though they belong to God and as though all of what we own is dedicated to God's use. So we practice by repeatedly giving money, giving our alms to the church. The offering plates come by every single week because every single week we need an opportunity to practice giving back to God what God has given to us. All of our lives should be lived in dedication to serving others. But we practice this by repeatedly showing up to care for the little ones in the nursery or out in children's worship or serving at a food pantry. All of our lives should be lived conforming to the image of God the Son as revealed in Scripture and in the church's teaching. And so we repeatedly read the Scriptures, learn about our faith and the traditions, and help one another to understand and enact what we learn from them. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness to draw into living a pattern of life like Jesus Christ. Our weaknesses are due to our limitations, our finitude, our creatureliness, but also to the sin that we're so easily entangled in. The life that Christ lived is one that shows us what the fullness of humanity can look like as he faithfully fulfilled the vocation given to our first parents. Our role then is to let the Holy Spirit help us, to let the Spirit empower us with his grace, but even this takes some effort on our part effort to practice our faith intentionally, consistently, and repeatedly. 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness by conforming us to the image of the Son, according to the design and the direction of the Father. Amen.